The following audio recording is intended for business people. It contains mature concepts and adult themes and language. It is not recommended for children. Hi there. Are you already successful in business? Past the startup and into phase two? Already have regular clients and not worried about revenues? Maybe other things worry you. Like what's the medium to long-term future? Which is the shortest way forward that translates to money? Or do you wish you had help with business strategy, innovation, or future-proofing? If you're interested in spending some time with a business person who has executed and implemented almost all of the things you're about to hear, resulting in annual company revenue of $7.2 million a year, then you can relax your mind. Your ears are on the right Business Bits podcast. Get comfortable and please create an environment for success for yourself and turn off any distractions. Welcome to the Business Bits podcast by Nikki Christensen. Session two on day one was hosted by Vivek Chowdhury. Vivek is a strategist consultant, an educator, and a researcher. And his talk today was about reinventing and rethinking strategy. Vivek consults to some very successful companies, CSL included, which is a publicly traded and listed company. The main takeaways from Vivek's talk touched on things like the S-curve where companies work out when to change tact and when to jump. He called the dip of the S-curve when it's too late the oh-shit point. So he goes, obviously, companies want to identify and move on the S-curve before the oh-shit point, which is makes good sense, right? But he also noted that periods of success are getting shorter and shorter. So if we feel like and we're wondering why is it that we're not able to have success more and maybe you're feeling fatigued, it's because success cycles are shortened and in shorter abundance. He highlighted a point that it's human nature to find data that evidences what we believe to be true. So basically saying you will find what you are looking for. So don't always believe the numbers, which is a really interesting point. When you talk about strategy, you should look at the idea of where you believe you can go is constrained by the path you've already walked. So when you talk about mindset and global view, don't forget that when you set strategy, organisations may not be able to believe that they can walk a strategy, vision or view that is completely out of alignment with the path that they have come from, which is why some executive teams will really struggle to innovate and to embrace an innovative strategy. Also, uh, these type of groups have a bias of looking backwards to validate what it is that they are doing. This point was really interesting to me because I was speaking to some other delegates before we went in and I said, why is it that we just base our growth target on what we did last year? We look backwards for a forward projection, but that's a point in time as a reference. I just thought that was just dumb and there should be better data points and how to get better metrics. Key considerations and issues when you set strategies, one is about timing. Because if you have a strategy and the the timing's incorrect, if you're too fast, you leave money behind. If you're too slow, then you hit the oh shit. And he's talking about the S-curve there. And also the direction of change, like how to decide where to change to and how to change tact. So they're considerations when you're thinking of laying down a new strategy. Successful organisations look forwards and backwards. So it's not just on historical data. It's also about 
what's happening right now in the landscape. Vivek talked also about what is the strategy to storm the hill. And he goes, normally you would look at a hill, that's the, the task at hand, and then you've got to go storm the hill. But he really talked a lot about it's not a fixed thing. The hill is not just the hill. The landscape is not just the landscape between where you're standing and the hill. He talks about what if the concept of what if the landscape changes, can you adapt and change with it? And is the goal just to storm the hill or are you better off sending out scouts in other directions to see if there are other ways and successes to be achieved that may not necessarily be storming the hill? The talk Vivek gave also touched on tangible and intangible assets. And he gave the example that we measure things through financial indicators, but some things are intangible. Relationships that key stakeholders have with other clients, suppliers, etc., is an intangible that can't easily be measured. And he gave the example of Saatchi and Saatchi. When Maurice Saatchi was owed a bonus of $5 million, the board decided that he wasn't worth that. So he left with his brother, set up M&C Saatchi, and they took everything with them. And what they had not considered, that's his old board, was the intangible assets of the relationship. So remember, relationships is bankable, but it's not going to show up on your balance sheet. He talked about human capital, that management of human capital is not just via contracts. It actually is also down to direction and motivation. And then this notion of non-tradable assets was brought up as well. So you had the intangible. What about non-tradable assets? Non-tradable assets are things that aren't able to be bought and sold in the marketplace as in non-tradable. So it used to be IP, resources, machinery, etc. But it's not so much anymore because barriers to entry are a lot lower and people are a lot more resourceful. Talking about value then, it gave the example of a Rolex watch. And if you could buy a cheap Rolex watch, knock off for 20 bucks. But if you could buy a fantastic Rolex knockoff watch for 50 bucks that did exactly the same as a Rolex, then what would the brand value of Rolex be? The real Rolex, that is. It would be a lot lower. Brands provide a quality assurance about something. So that was put in the context of the risk of over-quantification. Looks like it achieves the outcomes required, i.e. the fake Rolex, uh, you've got to be a little bit suspicious of the numbers because they can be over-quantified as well. The notion of big innovation was something interesting that Vivek raised. He goes, how do you get to big innovation and not just small innovations or successful innovations that you can pick? He goes, the secret to it is like the way that Elon Musk does it. Elon Musk is a master generalist and he's someone who sees across spaces. So he'll see a need, identify and transport things that he collects and learns, but he won't deliver those. He will actually get specialists to create and deliver for him. So you need somebody that can see across the spaces to achieve big innovation which I thought was really, really interesting. Strategy is defined as a portfolio of bets. Strategy is a portfolio of bets. So you have to make big bets, but you also have to make small bets. So there is a way of still being able to 
scale and being able to forge your business but not committing business suicide. He talks about ambidextrous organisations. They have two arms. The first arm exploits value today, whereas the second arm exploits value in the world tomorrow. So you obviously want to temper and measure investment in each area, but you can stagger and stage for this. The idea of clarity of vision versus contestability of an idea came up and it forced us to think about being able to articulate and argue for a vision does that then also allow the contestability of ideas because will that not get the best result for the laying of a strategy in a company? We're living in a VUCA world, which is an acronym VUCA, V-U-C-A. V is for volatility, U is for uncertainty, C is for complexity, A is for ambiguity. VUCA world, they're different parts, so don't mix them all together. Volatility is seasonal fluctuations. Uncertainty is it might rain today or it might not. Complexity, lots of moving parts, complex systems. Ambiguity is fog. Don't really know where we're heading. Can't use the numbers to map it out. So if you understand that we're in a VUCA world, you no longer attach ambiguity and complexity with the same definition or uncertainty and ambiguity. Like they are four very different things that can be adjusted and tackled differently. The new world of today looks at value today, value tomorrow. You should not, business should not be about having the best product, having the happiest team, having the biggest market share, having the best brand, having the highest price. It should be about creating value today and value tomorrow. A lot of companies get fixated on market share, on price, on brand value, et cetera, but they will go for those sort of metrics and they will destroy value in the process. And that should just not be the case. The object should be to build value today and build value tomorrow. For you to consider what strategy you're laying, you have to think about what non-tradable assets do you hold and do you have in your arsenal? What makes you different that others just can't buy? That is your non-tradable asset. At the same time, you also have to say, why must that also then change? Because the thing that is your biggest key will also be your biggest weakness if you don't assess it and consider it. So many great theories in this strategy talk by Vivek, and I hope I'm doing it justice by giving you the summary in a logical order. The next step was Vivek talked about allocentric views, which is basically outside in versus egocentric inside out. And it's touching on the idea that you've got to look at the externals and then look inward, not looking from inward outward because you really have to consider uh, customers and needs first. Gave a lot of ideas on best negotiation tips, etc., which I won't go into because they were very involved stories. And again, you can get more insight into our negotiation tactics by looking for negotiation courses online, etc. He talked about rationality that if you look at option A or option B, where is the greatest value? And then he says, when others don't do, say, one of those options, then we should think. Why aren't they doing that? So he's talking about if a competitor goes on tangent A or B, assess it and go, why aren't they doing it? And then think, well, why should we do it? Why shouldn't we do that as well? Like assess why people are doing things. So he goes, make sure you have a think about choices and the rationality behind 
the choice. Like don't just pile in and do something because competitor A isn't doing it. I also touched on this notion of the winner's curse. Now, winner's curse is something as simple as this. Take oil, for instance. Oil, barrels of oil, etc., have a common value. The common value is X, but the quantity of the oil that may be in a plot that somebody wants to buy is unknown. So you'll have a consortium of people bidding for this oil field and X is unknown. So estimates are done. So they're saying that the winner's curse is basically the party that wins the asset, so in this case, say, oil, they're the party that they're furthest away from the true value and they got it the most wrong. So if you take that, he's talking about the way to quantify something. So going, well, if a, the winner's curse is if you win a bid, then that means you're furthest away from the tr- what the true value is because you've actually presented more value to the seller. So that idea of winner's curse was very interesting indeed. Did you know that innovation is not normally done by the best in class? The reason for that is is because the best in class are actually either entrenched in the way they do things or they feel like they've got success so it's already working. But when you sort of talk about the best in class, best in category, normally the innovation is done by those that are behind the best in class or behind the leader of the pack because the people coming in behind see a wider scope of the landscapes. That's why they go normally the pioneer is the one that fails and falls over because the people coming in behind them get to witness what they do but they're also looking at things in a wider scope and a lot more broadly. So sometimes it doesn't pay to be the pioneer. It pays to be the second or third person in. When you talk about best in class, you're also talking about effective benchmarking and the dangers of benchmarking because it's really like a herding mentality. Benchmarking around strategy is dangerous and just because the herd is doing it doesn't mean you should be doing it. So you know how we always go, I wonder, what, you know, I compare myself to my my nearest competitor or my best competitor that's not necessarily a healthy thing to be doing because that would then imply that herd mentality is the right mentality to have. Remember the definition of strategy. Strategy is a portfolio of bets. Strategy is not just about taking the hill that you think you need to conquer because the landscape may actually change and when you get there, that hill may be a cliff. Send scouts out into the landscape and see if there are better options. So sure, you could be heading for the hill, but make sure you have your scouts out and about. And that is how you get an ambidextrous view and organization to do that. Remember, strategy is a portfolio of projects. So you can have temporary projects, you can have optional, you can have geographic and less risk projects. You can have short longs which are bets with small amounts of money. You can have long shorts, which take a lot of money toward the things that you see. So the real notion of all this is have a mixture of approach and make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. He also says, take the view that venture capitalists do when it comes to strategy and success. You see VCs accept that they're only going to win about 10% of the time. 90% of the time, those companies are going to lose, 90% of the companies are going to lose. 
Imagine if we said, okay, we're going to take a venture capitalist view that we're going to try different things in our strategy and if we succeed 10% of the time, we're going to take that as a victory. That is not what a lot of management teams do. They're not comfortable with failure and it's a question that we're asked, how comfortable are you with failure? You have to get comfortable with failure because you're not going to get people to take the risks and go for the big wins if there is a not a fail-safe environment. That is, that nobody loses their shit just because we have strategic failures. Really successful firms understand most of the things that they try won't work. They take a venture capital approach to that. So as long as the decision made made sense at the time that it happened or that it was taken, but then when tomorrow shows up and it wasn't practical, it didn't work, that's okay because if there's sound logic to when the decision is made, then you can't hang someone out to dry just because it doesn't work when tomorrow shows up. That's where they talk about failing by design. It's a conscious thought process. It's not just a gut feeling. A good failure is exactly that, the decision that made sense, but then when tomorrow comes, maybe it no longer does. Bad failures are just stupid decisions, and that is, they happen all the time. When something fails, embrace the right kind of failure, and the right kind of failure is exactly that. It's got to be conscious decisions. Also talks about placing big bets. Um, make sure you make the big bets because you can't just make incremental changes to get the guaranteed wins because that really isn't true innovation. So you really have to get the right balance. An incredibly interesting session by Vivek Chowdhury. It was a pleasure to spend two and a half hours uh, in his talk today and really outlined that whole idea of you have to get comfortable with failure and know when to persist and know when to fail fast. He gave the example of Amazon Fresh established in 2007, 11 years ago, and they're still persisting with it. They're still losing money and failing, but Amazon obviously have identified that that is a key to cracking the big leagues if they can get that last mile and get fresh into homes. That's why they're staying with it. So you don't always have to bail on an idea. You don't always have to fail fast because that is not necessarily the answer. You've got to know when to keep pushing, such as the Amazon Fresh case. The idea of strategy setting also encompasses building innovative cultures that go along with it and support it. So creative and social are two value combinational plays that you should look at when you do cultures. Diversity of thought and contestability of ideas is important. Ubiquity of weak ties, i.e. more interactions cross-departmental are important. Look at the value today, value tomorrow across the organisation and tolerate and support ambiguity and failure. Make sure that it's a mistake-safe place to be. Vivek ended his talk with a slide of Homer Simpson and that famous quote, kids, you tried, you did your best and you failed, so the lesson out of this is to never try, which of course is wrong and just sort of further highlights that you've got to fail to succeed, which is really interesting. No matter how far your diversity and you diversify, you have to be clear on how far you can go. Think what can you do in the new space? So if you're a car manufacturer and all of a sudden you get an idea that you want to make a DVD player, you've got to consider those two things. How far does your diversity go? 
how can you be clear about that and what can you do in the new space? And that will then affect the strategy that you set for, say, product development, etc. Remember, tomorrow is coming quick. And the quicker that it gets means you have to be more agile in your strategy and you really have to have a suite of strategy plays because if you take the VC approach, 10% will work, 90% won't. So if you take that approach, you'll be well-versed and you'll be future-proofed. And that is the key to setting a good strategy for today. It was an awesome talk by Vivek Chaudhry. I really enjoyed it and it really stimulated thought process around how to set strategy, why to set strategy and how it interrelates and why it is so important. That was another session with Nikki Christensen and the Business Bits podcast. In case you were wondering, it's called Business Bits by Nikki Christensen because it's business served up in bits. Take away what you want and leave behind the bits you don't. The key is implement what you've learned straight away. If you want more, go to NikkiChristensen.com. It's also where you can get your limited edition Nikki Christensen wristbands. So until next time, remember what Nikki always says, version one is better than version none.